From True Africa, I'm Claude Renitsky, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking about aid and development in Africa. So the minute you get countries or people into debt, then you own them and you enslave them. Since independence, even though we've been helped, we are practically at the same level. I don't think aid creates more problems than it solves, but it definitely could be done differently, I think. Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. As a region, Africa accounts for around 20% of U.S. aid. Development projects throughout the continent depend on this money. But some argue that there is little evidence that aid produces economic growth. They say that it encourages a culture of dependency and corruption. We ask an aid worker, an activist, and an economist, does aid create more problems than it solves? Our first guest is Mutemi Wakiyama, an activist from Nairobi, Kenya. He's known for campaigning against aid in the shape of international loans. He was arrested by Kenyan authorities in April 2021. His crime? Criticizing the IMF, the International Monetary Fund's $2.3 billion loan to Kenya. He thinks aid in the form of loans creates spiraling debt, which only benefits those in power. We started off by talking about the book Debt Aid by the Zambian economist Dambisa Moyo. It was written more than 10 years ago, but still feels relevant today. Even then, Dambisa Moyo was arguing that aid was not a solution. I want to echo everything that Dambisa Moyo has written and spoken about, you know, debt aid. And then... I want to repeat a statement I, I saw in a movie I watched, a documentary I watched a while back, which says debt is slavery. Debt is slavery. Absolutely. Yep. Debt is slavery. Um, and that's the beginning. So the minute you get countries or people into debt, then you own them and you enslave them to to provide whatever service it is or whatever goods that they have or to exchange whatever resources they have. Um, in the name of debt. And uh, we have capitalism that actually um, creates a system where um, everybody is in perpetual debt from the people to governments to companies. Uh, right now we are in the era of the euro bond. Uh, in Kenya, when this current government came into power, uh, led by Uhuru Kenyatta, the first thing they did was take a loan, uh, I think $2 billion dollars, um, that loan is alleged to have uh, been used to, to, to buy stationery within government offices because they can't say what, where the men went. But also, allegedly, uh, $250 million, uh, billion, uh, billion Kenyan shillings disappeared. And the rumor has it that since then, Kenya has taken uh, another, I think, four or five uh, eurobond loans and the rumor has it that we are actually being lent this money by the money to using the money that was stolen from the first eurobond. So you've created a system whereby uh, the people in power are actually creating, you know, they are, they are messing up the economy so that the country can borrow and then borrow from them in the name of eurobond. 
Let me stop you there because I wanted to kind of go back to what Dambisa Moyo wrote in her book, Dead Aid. And that was more than a decade ago. But she had focused on this $1 trillion number, which is the amount of development-related aid that was transferred from rich countries to African countries over the past uh, 50 years. And, and, And her point of view, which was backed up by a lot of actual figures, was that Africans and African countries were actually worse off than if they had not received this aid. And I think Nabisa Moyo also gave an example of how much money had left Africa in the same period. She did. Um, compared to this. Yeah, compared to these uh, one trillion, but for using Kenya as an example, um, and many other countries have also received these so-called euro bonds in Southern Africa. When Uhuru uh, Kenyatta took over in 2013, uh, the Kenyan uh, gross domestic product was 1.3 trillion Kenyan shillings. Right now, it's grown to I think around 3.6 trillion uh, trillion shillings. But that is just those are just figures because they, they've kept uh, adjusting the economy. But when you took over the debt, uh, the debt in Kenya was around uh, one trillion Kenyan shillings. Right now we had thirteen trillion Kenyan shillings, um, and there's nothing to show for it. So that's money that has that's capital flight. That's money that has left the economy, and whatever has not left the economy because right now uh, we are using most of whatever. Uh, revenue that is being collected to repay uh, those debts. Um, Kenyans, I think, for the next uh, 50 to 70 years will be repaying some of these debts, even after Uhuru Kenyatta leaves power this year. My second contributor has a slightly different point of view. He works for the United Nations. Pedro Matos has worked for the World Food Program in Africa and Asia for well over a decade. He was part of the team which won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2020. He's now working in Sudan, delivering food and assistance to over 6 million people. My question to you is, does aid create more problems than it actually solves? Uh, hi, thank you. And thank you for the invitation. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. It's, uh, it's also, it, it also doesn't have a very, a very, very easy answer. I think I don't think aid creates more problems than it solves, but it definitely could be done differently. I think there are other flows of um, of funds that have a much larger impact. So, for instance, the the private sector, international conglomerates that are in Africa and they are um, and they're not paying taxes in the countries where they uh, in the African countries where they're selling. I think um, it's a, it's a, the flight of this capital clearly could be better used in the countries. Um, where the actually the where the, the expense is done, and I think these 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 um, the the amount of money involved in this uh, capital flight is actually much larger than the, the bilateral, the multilateral funds that flow into the developing world. So I think that that one clearly would if that if those taxes were paid clearly, the amount of aid and development money would be much much less. I think. One of the problems of the of the development and the, and the humanitarian world is that we're very quick to come in because it's very obvious when someone needs help, but we're very bad at saying at coming out and the exit strategy because it's much more difficult to say these people no longer need help, and we kind of move the goalposts as we as we go along and we tend to overstay. What we could improve in general as organizations is. Um, 
is basically helping governments if they don't don't if if they don't yet know how to do this. For instance, how do you end hunger in 2030, which is the the you know the goal of the of the the sustainable development goals? How do you hunger hunger in 2030? And if we say like this is what we need to do, like 100, the government can do 80. Can the international community help us with the 20? And then every year we move some of those 20 to the government until finally there's an exit strategy. If we could do this with every SDG and every problem, and there was a clear transfer of um, of responsibility from the part that the government can't solve yet to the part where they can, I think we could all do um, uh, humanitarian and, and development work much better. I agree with a lot of what you said. And I want to maybe take it to a comparison. If we look at, say, foreign direct investment or foreign direct investment that's going into infrastructure or even into startups, right? Like half of all the FDI that is going into startups in Africa is going into the fintech sector. And if we compare that with aid that goes to governments and and then then gets distributed throughout various government-sponsored programs, which approach do you feel might be better at alleviating poverty? Well, clearly, I think governments have to set um, the strategy. Clearly, they need to decide where the government, where the co- country is going to go. And then they have to set the framework in motion so that the private sector can then um, uh, invest and have the incentives to pull in the same direction towards the, the, the goals of the government. I think if that works, uh, clearly, private sector is much better suited to, to solve to adapt local solutions to local problems. I think um, centralized planning, and this this applies to also large international um, humanitarian organizations, um, are less suited for uh, local, um, to adapt local solutions, I think. What we do is a patch. This is not uh, a long-term solution for anything. We're, we, we can't be the ones providing a long-term solution. Our third guest is Albert Holonku. He is the director of the National University of Applied Economics and Management in Benin. Journalist Rashida Husu started off by asking him, should countries give aid even though their own citizens might be suffering? There should be more research into foreign aid. It does not only benefit the countries receiving aid, it also benefits those countries giving it. Their citizens, for example, visit our parts as tourists, etc. If there is terrorism in our country, they could say, oh, we'll help your military, or we'll train your intelligence services. In that case, it helps them too, because it ensures their citizens are safe. Sometimes there are certain financial aids which come with that. For example, I'll give you money, but you have to buy my goods. I could say, oh, you want to develop your agriculture. I'll give you money for tractors, but you must buy the tractors from us. That allows for supplies of tractors to benefit in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. Or they could send technical assistants who benefit from being involved. So they also enable their citizens to work who might be paid more than local citizens. So a part of that aid actually benefits them. There is also the fact that when you ask for money, you have to show that you need it, that the money they gave before wasn't enough. In many developing countries, people accept aid, but they say it doesn't work and continue to show photos showing hunger and people feel obliged to give more. That is what one calls the dilemma of the Samaritan, a Samaritan who doesn't want to escape his situation, but rather shows that he is in need so people carry on giving. 
You can see it with local and international NGOs who take photos of villages which have received aid for a long time. But the photos are of starving children, etc. And that is meant to spark compassion in developed countries who will continue to give aid. At a certain point, the victim who has helped will no longer want to help themselves. That can explain that since independence, even though we've been helped, we are practically at the same level. Through false altruism, we're perpetuating the mechanism of aid which doesn't help the countries receiving aid. It benefits the intermediaries, local and international NGOs. The part which goes towards the beneficiaries is sometimes played down. Experts are sent who don't understand the context. There are shocking examples. For example, when Russia gave Guinea snowplows. And what should we do to reform the aid system? Needs should come from the grassroots. Also, we must work on the monetary policy. Because when people send us euros, we can't spend euros locally, but must exchange it into CFA francs. And that is just like printing local money. Euros are always going to let us import, which means we could spend too much. We really need aid in areas where we can use it efficiently and intelligently. Otherwise, we will fall into debt. Because even if the loans are concessionary, they will put us into more debt. And after, we won't develop either. One cannot get rid of aid, but one must always remember that the person who wants to give aid will profit. One cannot accept aid for aid's sake. We're not looking for simple answers on this podcast. We believe Africa's potential is limitless, but we need to find other ways to fulfill that potential. The question of aid is a thorny one, and all our contributors had a slightly different perspective. There are undoubtedly urgent situations where we need to work together to save innocent people. And some of the work the World Food Program does is vital. But we could not rely on others to save us. And the perspectives of Mutemi Wakiyama and Professor Holonku certainly resonated. The real takeaway was that aid can be used as a mechanism of control. Africans have talent, resources, and ideas we need to find other ways to promote development on the continent. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.trueafrica.co slash limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Grinitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scene Fire Foundation.